0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today, FM. Even some of us who love watching rugby as a sport and who enjoyed playing it previously are becoming increasingly concerned about the potential for serious injury to participants. More and more evidence emerging as to the dangers to players, past and present, There's a new study today from Scotland which has suggested that players who play rugby are at higher risk of neurodegenerative diseases. There's also a TV documentary on tonight in BBC called Head On Rugby Dementia and Me. It features the England Rugby World Cup winner Steve Thompson, who is diagnosed at the age of 43 with early onset dementia and is part of a group bringing a legal case against world rugby. And indeed, we learned last week that three prominent Irish former players are also involved in bringing legal cases because of their own particular issues. Steve Thompson was with us on the programme in May and when I spoke to him, he can't remember having won the World Cup with England, having played in the game where they won the final against Australia. I asked him if he would advise parents to let their children play rugby, knowing what he knows now.
1: Well, looking at that, for myself, I've got young children, uh, four children under nine, and I wouldn't have them doing tackle rugby, even when they turn you know, 11, 12, I wouldn't now with what I know. Um, there's other sports out there. I want them to stay in rugby. We need to go down the junior rugby club. But at the moment, when it's an immature brain, why would you knock it around? Now now you see it. You know, there are touch rugby. The, the children obviously will get fed up because they're close and they want to do the contact. That's what children want. But in a few years, that culture will change and it, it should be about skills and running around and, and that and not just the contact.
0: Do you wish you'd never played rugby?
1: Me personally now, yeah. And, you know, I don't hate the game, um, but for me, where where I am now, I'm just turned 43 and what I'm having to put my family through and put everyone through, it's, you know, I've got no memories whatsoever of my playing career, the 10 years and so of my rugby career is just not there. So the way I look at it, you know, why would I do that if, if I had that opportunity again? And I wouldn't.
0: OK, we have a couple of guests i are going to start with Professor Matthew Campbell from the School of Genetics at Trinity College, Dublin, who is part of the Concussion Research Interest Group established by the Department of Genetics at Trinity College and by the Clinical Research Centre in St James's Hospital. Uh, thank you for joining us. This new Scottish study... Uh, looked at 412 male Scottish former rugby players, internationals, and 1,200 matched individuals from the general population and found the rugby players a much higher risk of neurodegenerative diseases. What do you make of that?
2: First of all, thanks, Matt, for having me on your show. Um, I, I don't think it's particularly surprising, Matt. I mean, it's, it's, it's been shown in ex-professional soccer players that with the same you know, exposure to repetitive head trauma, that, that you're going to get an increased risk of dementia in later life. So it's of no surprise to me and my colleagues that this has been seen in rugby as well. I mean, rugby has turned into a game that is a, a collision sport as opposed to a contact sport. So it's certainly not a surprise that there's an increased risk of developing dementia Um, by playing rugby long-term. So I, I I think these types of studies, they need to be taken, not with a pinch of salt, but with a little bit of caution in that there's a correlation causation issue at play here. So we still don't have a very, very clear correlation causation. We suspect that repetitive exposure to head trauma is driving this increased risk of dementia, but we don't have the exact causation yet.
0: They're saying that there should be no contact training or minimal contact training in preparation for games and fewer games to be played at a professional level. What do you think of that suggestion?
2: I, I think that's the suggestion that we've actually been proposing, both myself and Colin Doherty, the, the clinical lead on our study in St. James's Hospital. I mean, it's very clear that that concussion is a red herring in this debate. You know, it's not about concussions. It's about the nature of the game. So it's about subconcussive injuries and repetitive head trauma. and I certainly think in the context of rugby, there are too many games. There are too many games played. If you switch on the television at any, any day of the week, you will always get rugby. There's constantly rugby on. And that's not the same with things like professional boxing, where we know there's a very, very definitive increased risk of developing dementia if you're a professional boxer. Um, but boxers only fight three, four times max per year. Um, with rugby, players are playing every single weekend and they're also exposing themselves to repetitive head trauma during training as well. So I think decreasing the number of training events where you're exposing yourself to repetitive head trauma and decreasing the number of competitive matches is really the only way to address this.
0: Dr. Barry is with us as well, former medical advisor to World Rugby and a former international player himself. Barry, I think I first spoke to you about this issue about a decade ago. You have been outspoken about the dangers for quite a long time. Uh, what do you make of the increased awareness that there seems to be another fact that we do have players bringing forward legal actions in relation to their treatment?
3: Well, uh, Professor Campbell there said most it, uh, very, very uh, effectively uh, I'm not under, uh, either, like himself, not in the slightest uh, surprise. i'm extremely frustrated as, as you said i resigned 10 years ago from the medical committee of world rugby and their head injury committee because of the ridiculous way they were going and the ridiculous way they were tra- treating head injuries and in, in every aspect now it's getting worse and worse and as the professor said we don't know the full reason in everybody's Uh, case, and it may be genetic, it may be life factors that they're playing a cause as well, but head injuries, head trauma are causing brain damage, both there and then, in a lot of cases, and that's the other factor, and this is where parents have got to decide that it's getting more and more likely that that knocks to the head, which do not concuss and as he said, it's it's misleading, but just these knocks to the head reduce their cognition and uh, uh, ability to work things out for several weeks. And these are children taking state exams. Rugby's in serious trouble over this. It's their own fault. They've denied it. Do you know what the world rugby's response to Professor Willie Stewart's um, uh, report? The only response I read for, we're glad they're going to do more research, and that's what he said for 10 years, ignoring all the research that's come out in the meantime.
0: I know of three particular individuals who have teenage sons who've all given up rugby because of repeated concussions. Teenagers, so it strikes me that this is not an issue necessarily just for professional players, which we often get focused upon, that there should be serious concerns about the safety of the sport, making it safer for those at a younger age, Barry.
3: Absolutely. And uh, uh, again, that has been referred to uh, referred to by Steve Thompson, of course, whom I know uh, and who came to see me, and uh, uh, by the professor, uh, the younger groups are vital, and we have to, the, the World Rugby are making rather pathetic efforts to, bit by bit, slow the contact. And they've got, uh, that's to give themselves time to think what, what can they possibly do. But the youngsters, the head contact's got to be reduced even more. And as they said, again, of speed, and it may come to all the factors that, that, that he said, they may even have to reduce the um, the numbers to 13 aside so they're running for spaces instead of running into each other but rugby won't do that because my goodness rugby league we can't follow them um i'm cynical uh, uh and i'm um very sad about the way they've gone about it and uh every six months they're making a slight change every six months there's more people with brain damage
0: listener says, I love rugby and I know the risks. Everyone now knows the risks. It's my choice to play. And I would happily sign a disclaimer to say I know the risks. If people want to play, well, then let them play with knowing the risks. Understand fully, listener, what you're saying. But I suppose the issue is, what about teenagers and children? So then, because until you reach the age of 18... There is parental responsibility. So are the parents going to sign off? And Professor Matthew Campbell, there are a number of listeners saying, well, why not make headgear helmets compulsory? Do they provide sufficient protection?
2: Yeah, so it's been pretty well validated scientifically that helmets do not prevent concussions I And mean, we actually know this from US military-based studies where they wear Kevlar helmets, thick Kevlar helmets that do not prevent concussions. Um, so concussions are caused by rapid rotational movement of the head, both linear forces and rotational forces that aren't prevented by, by headgear. So that's, it's kind of a redundant argument talking about headgear. It's simple. The, 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 the message here is that we reduce the amount of, of repetitive head trauma to address this issue. It's, it's actually very black and white. It really isn't that, that difficult a concept that we simply just reduce the exposure. Prevent uh, long term damage. But it's
0: just put in again a straightforward case here, Professor Matthew Campbell. You don't have to get a blow to the head, do you, to get concussion? If you were, say, to take a really strong tackle to the midriff, if two people were to come together, the force and the impact and the shock can create a movement in the head, can it? Exactly. If
2: if you look at slow motion replays of some of these sort of mid rift hits, you can see that the brain or the, the head rapidly moving forward and then rapidly moving backwards. But also, you can sometimes see where hits come in from the side. You can see this rotational movement of you know you see a boxer getting hit in the chin and the the, the, the head is whipped around. What actually happens in the brain is the central part of the brain kind of twists. There's this torsional movement, and it's like twisting an electrical wire. It's, it's it's interrupting electrical signal in the brain. So you know even without getting a direct blow to the head, you can actually get concussed. And not even that, but even just this repetitive trauma. So people go through the breakdown in rugby and there's knees coming in and there's ankles coming in. That repetitive knocks to the head uh, is actually doing damage as well. This subconcussive damage, it's quite quite difficult to to metric and measure, but it's cumulative. So the more of these subconcussive events that you get will accumulate over a season and over a lifetime.
0: Um doctor Barry driscoll your experience for many years as a player yourself. Is it possible to train and not to have contact training? Can you prepare yourself properly for a game if you actually haven't been doing tackling and rocking and mauling and the various physical uh, work in advance of going out and doing it in a match?
3: Well, that's, that's the crunch question now and the only question. Uh, Rugby has got to accept that their players' brains have Uh, brains are being damaged week in, week out, and the price is being paid later on in life, and we've known about it for 95 years since the punch trunk boxers were diagnosed first in the late 1920s, and there's no use them saying this is not established. So how much trauma can they take out of the game? Can they take enough out? Um, We've heard several of the ways they can do it. Uh, with, with, with less contact, less games, r- reduce it in training, reduce the, the rocking in, 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 in rugby, which is fierce, as you said about hands and knees and this the jackal tackle. Uh, they can reduce all these things. Will it still be rugby? Uh, that, uh, and, and the only other thing I would say quickly is that what are the other elements? Are they genetic? Are they lifestyle? If those can be found out and a person chooses to uh, rub those, uh, those out altogether, they might have much more of a chance. And this is coming from somebody whose life has been made by rugby, who loves rugby, who played for his country, whose family are deeply, deeply involved in rugby, the older schools. And um, uh, it, it's frustrated me that after 10 years of this, and not really no further on,
0: Dr. Barry O'Driscoll and Professor Matthew Campbell, thank you for being with us. The last
2: word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from
0: 4:30.
1: Today is